Good morning, church. There we go. I feel loved already. Let's just pray and go home, shall we? I love the fact that we can gather in Jesus' name, that we can raise the roof for a celebration that's worthy of celebrating, right? All that God is, all that He has done through Christ, that we have hope. We have hope no matter what we're going through. And we have been in a series, Hope in the Dark, going through the letter of 1 Peter. And Peter went through such horrific darkness and through it all that he was able to shine. He was able to be a leader in the early church where he rallied the church to say, no matter how hard it gets, that we're moving forward. And no matter how dark it gets, that we are shining brighter. That is the church, right? That is the church. The the light in the darkness. We don't separate ourselves and run and hide in fear. We press in and we make a difference. But it starts with us experiencing hope. So if you have a copy of God's Word open to 1 Peter, the Gospel in us and through us brings us hope even in our workplace. I don't know where you work for some of us. Well, if I'm retired, am I exempt from that? Can I just take an exemption on this, on this message? Uh, the answer is no. Turn your hand and say no. Nope, 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 nope. Can't do it, can't do it. There's an attitude of submission regardless of who is necessarily the boss in your life during this period of time that we are missionaries at work, that we're missionaries at work. I just had a conversation with somebody this past week uh, that said, I had never ever thought about my job as a place of ministry. I never considered work as a place where the gospel is to go out. I never considered clocking in and clocking out as a calling on my life by God to be a missionary sent in. It never crossed my mind. And maybe you can resonate with that of, yeah, that, that's kind of a new thought for me too. Well, after today, maybe we would have a very different perspective. So how do we do this? How do we live as missionaries at work? How do we live in such a way that we show people what Jesus is like? And just in a few verses, we're going to end chapter 2. Everybody say hooray. There we go. We're going to finish chapter 2 and we're going to finish it maybe with maybe the hardest message to hear yet because it's going to cost us quite a bit to obey and to live this out. So let's get low before the Lord. God, we, we come before You acknowledging apart from You, we can't do anything. Without You at the center, without You as our foundation, without You as our leader, Jesus, we're going to waste our lives. We're going to live a lifetime of regret. So God, I pray today could be another day that we say we bow the knee. You are King, Jesus. You are King. Wherever You lead us, we will follow. No matter how hard, we will do it because we're following in Your footsteps, Jesus. Where You go, we go. So would You teach us, Holy Spirit, would You be our teacher? Open our eyes that we would see amazing things from Your Word. Open our hearts that we would receive what You have for us. And give us hands and feet that are willing to do it. No excuses. God, we want to obey. Even when it's hard. Because we know obedience leads to blessing. It leads to life. It leads to joy. It leads to peace. So God, give us a heart that longs to follow You, Jesus. And You alone, we pray. In Your glorious name. And all God's people said... I know you're eager. You're like, can we amen already? Yes, you can at any point along the way. I love that we can, 
We can start with prayer, and I pray that we would live as people of prayer because we're going to need it as we think about obedience to this call from Peter. So Peter's writing to the church that is under great persecution. They have every reason in the world to try to defy and push back and reject the authority in their lives, and yet Peter brings us here. If you're taking notes, jot this down. Submit at work. Submit at work. Verse 18, and we're going to take it to verse 25. He starts with this. Servants, or maybe some of your translations, slaves, literally slaves. Uh, I think in our modern translations, we want to soften that. Servants, be subject, be submissive to your masters with all respect. And this is such a, a difficult piece of uh, our modern history as it intersects with biblical truth. I don't have time to unpack all of the reasons why uh, Scripture is not pro-slavery in any way. We can be confident of that. The reality is Peter is writing to an audience that is facing a context, an economical system where up to, they believe, 30% of the population was living in slavery of all colors of all backgrounds, of all socioeconomical statuses, there were so many in the Roman Empire that were living in slavery. Some and many, they chose to step into that to pay off debts. Some, it was against their will. Some masters were very kind and generous. Others were brutal. Okay, So when we think about slavery, we're not talking about American slavery. Okay, We're talking about what does Peter have to say to the church who may be experiencing this kind of experience of being a slave. But here's the principle. No matter who you work for, no matter what kind of employment dynamic, no matter how hard that there is a word for us to take away from this, and it's still the same, be subject to your masters and do it in such a way that it's with all respect. All respect. Everybody say all. And I studied the Greek word all, and I found out that all is all, all will ever mean. So it's pretty straightforward, right? There's no twisting and turning that. Uh, Miroslav Volf, he said this, right? This is a quote. I know, right? You're already, you're already impressed. I don't even need to hear the quote, right? Can we pop that up on the screen? The call to follow the crucified Messiah was, in the long run, much more effective, hear this, in changing the unjust political, economic, and familial structures than exhortations to revolutionize them would have ever been. For an allegiance to the crucified Messiah, indeed, worship of a crucified God is an eminently political act that subverts a politics of dominion at its very core. What is a very brilliant man trying to convey to us? Our attitude towards social justice should be one where Jesus is leading the way because when we follow Jesus in seeking to make a change, whether it's in our personal life or it's on the grand scale of an economy or a political system of an entire nation, Jesus first is the only way that lasting change is going to take place. So individuals picketing and individuals rioting. And we say, guess what? God gave us not just a better plan, but the plan and the only plan. And it starts with individuals revolting against the system by following a crucified Messiah, following in His footsteps and taking His 
call to live the way that he did. That brings radical revolution to any political system. And it has throughout history. It's different than the world takes it that we would say, Peter, we're going to take you at your word here because you followed Jesus firsthand. You lived it yourself. And now you're calling the church to follow. Servants, slaves, be subject to your masters with all respect. And here's a big question. Do I really have to submit to my boss? Can we make this as practical as possible, okay? Do I really have to submit to my boss? Do I really have to do what my boss tells me to do? And not according to my opinion, not according to any other public polls of what you should or shouldn't do in the workplace, according to the God who created you and has called you to something better, he says, yes. Yes, you should. And there's much at stake when you don't. Submission as the gospel shines via the workplace, right there in the midst of something as mundane as work. And I know some of you are thinking, okay, so I'm thinking back or I'm talking to somebody and what, what if somebody's boss is absolutely evil and asinine? What, what do I do if somebody's boss is the worst? Peter is using the context of slavery and slave master. Do you have it better than that? So it should be much easier for you than for some throughout history to follow Jesus and to live in the workplace in such a way because he goes on to say this. What does verse 18 continue on to say? Not only to the good and gentle, if your boss is awesome, then submit. He's like, not only that, not only that, but also to the unjust, the absolutely horrible, the completely wicked. And Paul agrees with this. He says in Romans 12, 20 and 21, to the contrary, he's like, we don't do what we naturally want to do. Instead, we do this. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, what are you going to do? You're going to heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but this is how you overcome evil. You do it with God. You do it with God. And God is calling us to respond in a certain way. So why should I submit? Why should, why should I do that? Turn to your neighbor and ask him why. Why, 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 why? Why do I have to? Well, instead of God just saying, because I said so. Like, shut up and submit already. He could have said that and we would say, yes, Lord. Yes, Master. But instead, he actually gives us some practical, specific images and an example to follow. Here's what he says. If you're taking notes, jot this down. Submission pleases God. Verse 19, for if... For this is, this thing of submission, even when it's hard, even when it's so excruciating, for this is a gracious thing. When, ever say when, why do you think he said when instead of if? He's like, trust me, you work with anybody long enough, you work under somebody long enough, it's a when, it's not an if. It's always a when. When mindful of God, when I'm thinking about God, when I'm concerned about what God sees and what God knows and what God's telling me, when I'm mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. And here's his argument. Verse 20. What credit is it if you sin and you're beaten for it? Like, if you really blow it and mess up and there's ramifications and there's consequences, do you, do you get a gold star for that? Do you get a pat on the back? You messed up. You faced the consequences. There, there's no applause for you. You got what you deserved. But what does he say? But, everybody say but. But if when you do good, when you're doing what's right, 
and you suffer for it and you endure. You don't stop and you don't quit. <laughs> this is so awesome. He says it for a second time. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. He says, for this is a gracious thing. And then he ends with, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Maybe we could put it this way. There are things that Christians do that God looks at and says, that's beautiful. Think about that. God sees everything that we do, public, private, inside, outside, things that are in our thoughts, our hearts, our actions. And when God is overseeing your life, if you're a follower of Jesus, and you are used and abused and neglected and taken advantage of, and your response is submission and endurance, God says, child, that's beautiful. What you did right there is absolutely beautiful. And I, I heard a story not too long ago of a, a dad that was working so hard with his son, training him, especially in athletics, where it's so difficult of you represent Jesus, right? Rep the king when you're on the court, okay? It's not like you live your Jesus life at church and then when you get into competitive athletics, just kill him, right? Like It's not like that. There, there's a character that is deep that we want to mold and shape into our kids that they would live and respond differently no matter what they're facing. And uh, this dad had been working with his, his son that talk about responses and attitudes and anger and frustration and intensity of competition and no self-control, no self-restraint. And there came a game day where all of a sudden the biggest dude on the team, right, had it out for his boy in the entire game. I mean, he was clawing, he was spitting, he was cussing at him. He's like trying to break him down, trying to get inside his head. And guess what? Right in the, in the last period, all of a sudden, he just lost it, right? Like, I got shoved enough. I'm shoving back and just lost it. And his son came over after the game was over, and he's like, son, I know it was hard, but you failed here. What have we been talking about? And he got a hold of him, and as he was talking one-on-one -on -one with him, he overheard the boy gathering all of his buddies, right? And saying, hey guys, when that punk over there gets out in the parking lot, we're going to beat him down. And they're like, yeah, let's do this. So as dad is saying, this is how you respond when you are attacked and you are hurt. And maybe you messed up, but it's not too late. Dad, son, walk across the court, walk up to this group of cronies. At that point, some parents were already part of the group going, yeah, we're going to get this boy. Like, Thanks, mom. Thanks, dad. Way to be an example. And they busted into the circle and he just turned to his son and said, son, do you have anything to say? And the son just reached out his hand and said, I am so sorry. The way I responded, it was ungodly. I follow Jesus. I did not represent him well. Will you please forgive me? And it instantly, every jaw in the circle dropped and the guy reached out his hand and after shaking, Everybody dispersed like cockroaches. There's something about us training and being an example and seeing generation after generation relearn what do you do when you are opposed and you're suppressed? What do you do when injustice comes your way? Do you hit social media?
to make sure that your voice is heard and that you're vindicated? Not if you're following Jesus. It's totally different. His kingdom is upside down. It's radically different. And it looks like weakness. It looks like you're a wimp. It looks like you can't fight and stand up for yourself. But when you have the king of kings fighting for you, your job is to get out of the way. What do you got that he can't handle? What are you going to do that he can't do better? When your boss is Jesus, you want to give him every single opportunity to step back and get low and get out of the way so he can do his work. And do you know what the dad said after that whole event played out? They got to walk through the parking lot and the dad with tears in his eyes was able to have his arm around his son. And guess what his thoughts were? Son, I am so happy right now. I'm so proud of you. What you did makes me so pleased. Because you did the right thing for the right reason, even when it was hard. Do you believe that God sees all the injustice, everything that you're going through, all of the wrongs? And it pleases God when you say, not my battle. It's not my fight. I need to get out of the way. I need to get low before the Lord. I need to humble myself and let my God fight for me. And he says, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing in the sight of God. It's so awesome. Because submission is what respectful Jesus followers offer in recognition that God established authority. It's what we do. It's what we do. God established the authority. I respond in a certain way that I understand my role. Here's a couple addresses that you're going to want to jot down because these are so helpful. We, we already looked at Romans 12, but let's consider these. 2 Timothy 2.4 No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. Here's his motive, right? And motive of every one of us who is on Jesus' side, we're on Team Jesus, is we make it our aim to please the one who enlisted me. Is that your heart? Man, I want to make it my aim to please my God. No matter what He calls me to, no matter what battle, I fight His way. How about this? Luke 6, 32-35. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Here's a, a subtle rebuke. For even sinners, wicked sinners, love those who love them. So are, are you different than that? Are you different? Or do you just love those who love you? And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? Even godless pagans. Sinners do the same. But, somebody lift up your voice and say, but, here it is. This is so different. This is so supernatural. Only Christians can do this. Love your enemies. Do good. Lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be mediocre at best. Is that what it says? Oh, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be greater than anything that you could receive in this world. It's going to be so good. You have a reward coming and you will be sons of the Most High. Literally, you will represent the Most High as His kids when you do this. For what is God like? What does it say? Do you have it up on the screen there? He's kind. Who is He kind to? To the respectful and the grateful, He treats them kindly. Is that what God does? To every unkind, evil brat in the world, He is insanely kind to. And God just says, be like me. Follow in my footsteps. Represent me well. 
when it's the hardest. How about this? Number three, if you're taking notes, submission follows Jesus' example. Submission follows Jesus' example. Verse 21, you got it? Everybody say got it. There we go. You see it? Verse 21, for to this you have been called. There's a calling on your life. What have I been called to? Well, because Christ suffered for you, He left you an example. Here's the calling that you might follow in His footsteps. That you may keep up with Him. That you may be right behind Him. If Jesus stops, would you run into His back? Because you're like, I am following. I am following. I'm. Fo- Whoa, we're stopping. I am following in His footsteps. Wherever He leads, I'm going. And where does He go? Here's the tough one for us. Christ suffered. Did He suffer a little bit? Help me out. I should have studied this part. Was it just a little bit? Was it just for a short time? The life of Christ was described as He was a man of sorrow. He was a man of sorrows His whole life. There was such denial of Himself that He lived as a servant of His Father perfectly the whole time. He suffered. We even have a word that came from the cross. We say, I'm going through such excruciating pain. The word excruciating is what? X out of excruciating, crucifixion, out of the cross came a new word to describe a new level of pain and suffering that had not been experienced before. When you look at Jesus on the cross, you have to create a new vocabulary to understand the extent of suffering that He went through. Did He suffer? For himself? Did he suffer because he had done wrong? Did he suffer because he was being punished for his own sin? No, 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 no. It was for me, for what I deserve. And he says, Follow me. Not follow me in all of the goodness and all of the comforts and all of the blessing. Follow me in the pain. Follow me in the struggle. Follow me in the suffering, Jesus says. This is a calling on our life. For some of us, we like to talk about. Well, I'm called to, to do certain things for the kingdom. And really, I'm gifted with a certain gift. And that's really my calling. And I wonder if we would just pause today and Peter's like, that, that might be part of it. But do you know what a major, 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 everybody say major. What a major piece of your calling is as a Christian is you're called to suffer. And suffer different. Suffer well. Suffer in a radically counter-cultural way that has no explanation, but that it has to be supernatural. This is the way that Jesus will shine. This is the way He will be seen through us as we follow in His footsteps. 2 Timothy 3.12 Indeed, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will live a blessed, comfortable life. Is that what? I, I always mess that one up. All right, should we, should we try again? From the top, from the top. 2 Timothy 3.12 If you desire to live a godly life, you'll be persecuted. If you desire to follow Jesus in His footsteps, you'll be persecuted. Here's a big question that Peter might ask. If you're really following Jesus, why is no one persecuting you? Because we live in America, that's why. Because they're scared of my guns. No, no, in fact, that is not why. I think, I think a portion of the lack of persecution is because nobody knows you're a Christian because they see no light. 
they don't see a difference because when you suffer unjustly, you get even. Because when you are wronged, you wrong back. Because when somebody hurts you, you get even every time. And zero Jesus is seen. So what are they going to do with you? Nothing. They're going to join in the gossip that you start. They are going to rally around all of the anger and frustration and vengeance that you respond with. They're going to counsel you to do what they do. Let's all get even. Even parents joining students that should be examples. Parents say, if my kid gets wronged, we get even. We let them know. We get on social media and we make sure that the world knows what happened to my kid and what's happening in our athletic program and, and there is a problem with that team and that coach. That's the America we live in. Do you know what's so uniquely bright? So amazingly strange to our current world is when parent and child alike say, we're going to forgive. We're going to keep our mouth shut. We're going to take it to God. People don't know what to do with that. And they don't like it. And you're going to get persecuted for doing what's good. So what is Peter talking about here? He's talking about you do what is good in response to wrong. You don't just do good when you're treated good. It's when you are doing the right thing and you are being hurt. Well, can we bring some clarity? Everybody say clarify. Here we go. When we're talking about this messy thing of, well, what about my boss if he does this or she does this? And could we clarify a few things? Here we go. Submission limits. Let's talk about some limitations. Well, okay. So are there any scenarios where I would not fully, completely just submit to an authority figure? Well, it depends on the source. It depends on the source. Not all authority is your authority. Um, I, I'm sure we're all aware of this that not every husband in the world, if you are a wife, not every husband in the world is your authority. Your husband is an authority and a headship lived out in your home. You don't have to submit to every man in your life. You submit to the ones that God has strategically placed in your life. It depends on the source. Where is it coming from, right? I need to know, is this an authority that God has called me to submit to? Source matters, right? What else matters? Well, it depends on the severity. Am I supposed to just lay down and just be abused and hurt in a million different ways? And well, I'm following Jesus, so I'm just supposed to like shut up. Well, if there is sin, if there's something illegal happening, we go to a higher rank, right? We go up. We work our way up the chain and say, uh, this is wrong and I need to humbly but proactively voice it and be able to get other people involved. Uh, never in our church would we counsel someone in an abusive relationship to stay in that relationship. We would say, you need to separate from that relationship and we need to get authorities involved. You don't say, your husband is abusing you and beating you. Just submit to Jesus. We would never say that because it depends on the severity of what you're facing. And here's the reality. It also depends on the frequency. So we're living in a day. Can we be real honest? Can we have a moment of honesty in, in God's house? All right? Anybody in favor of that? All right? Truth by voting. Can we? When someone says, my boss is abusive and I quit, and we investigate the matter and say, he's abusive? 
Yes, he cussed at me today and I quit. Okay, can we clarify abuse? Because being cussed at one time does not qualify I have an out, okay? Because anybody in the church house today probably has cussed at someone that has been under their authority, okay? Even the holiest of Christians in the house, okay? That something has come out of our mouth to those that have entrusted themselves to our authority and something has come out of our mouth once that was inappropriate, that was unhelpful, and that was in anger. So how many of our kids should say, I quit this family because my dad got angry? Okay, so can we think about the source? Can we think about uh, the, the intensity and the severity? Can we think about the, the frequency? Okay, can we consider those things? Everybody say, yes, I can. Okay, we, wisely we can consider and discern, right? But I, here are the two ditches that we fall into. Okay, when we think about submission, there's, there's one ditch, all right? Get out, get out of both of these ditches, okay? As quick as possible. One of the ditches, we got that one, is using an abuse as an excuse to bail on your responsibility. At the first sign of anything that is uncomfortable or inconvenient, I'm done. I'm done. Divorce. Divorce. Right? He he got angry. He's abusive. And I got an out. I'm so done with this marriage. Uh, I am so done with this job if I am going to be corrected with that tone when I'm late. I will not be abused that way. Um, as Christians, we should say, I'm going to endure quite a bit. Right? Because Christians are not snowflakes, right? We, we are not fragile, little, special, unique creatures that deserve absolute gentle treatment at all times. We follow in the footsteps of Jesus and we expect suffering and we expect to be abused and hurt in various ways because Jesus was. Okay? So it's not an excuse to just bail, right? And on the other side, I, I don't know how many of us struggle with this, but I, I have spent a lot of time with those that have that for the sake of faithfulness and being committed and staying under right, and enduring, here is the radical opposite. We got that up on the screen. If you're taking notes, shout this down. Using the biblical teaching on submission as an excuse to stay when it's destructive. I have counsel number, usually ladies, that how many more beatings are you going to stick around and make excuses for him? It is not right. You need to leave. No, I need to be faithful. I need to be committed. I need. I, I committed that I was going to endure not by the hand of one that is supposed to be protecting you. And you get authorities involved and the church should be there to be able to help and say don't stay when it's, when it's destroying you. Okay, Somewhere in the middle on this narrow way, not in either of those ditches, is the call of a Christian. Right? Everybody, everybody clear? Everybody say clear. All right, here we go. Last point. How do I follow Jesus? How do I do this? Can we, can we get insanely practical? How, 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 how do I do this? Somebody ask it. How, 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 how do we do this? Here, here's four right from the text, all right? I'm not even making this stuff up. Not even being cute, okay? Not pastorally cute and creative. Just straight from the Word. Peter, help us practically live this. And he says, follow Jesus. How do I live out this calling? Follow Him. What did Jesus do? Verse 22. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in His mouth. Verse 23. When He, revi- when he was reviled, when He was attacked, he did, not, 
attack in return. He didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. That's what Jesus did. So what do we do? We resist. We resist retaliation when we're treated unjustly. How well have you been doing in that area the past year, past few years? As you examine your life and assess your life, is there a pattern in your life of I resist retaliating? I resist and I fight their self-control by the Holy Spirit that I'm not going to open my mouth and I'm not going to get even and I'm not going to spread things around and I'm not going to rally the troops to my cause. I go to God. I go to God. I resist just like Jesus did. So, can, can we bring one clarifying point here? Sometimes when we hear that we are not to get back and not to get even, we're not to open our mouths and, a, and attack back, I often hear, what, am I just supposed to shove it down and suppress it, act like it didn't happen? Here's the surprisingly simple answer. Go to God. Go to God. Is, is that your default? Before I go to anybody else, I go to God first. Do you know what happens in a one-minute prayer that results in a radical shift of where you go from there when you say, I'm not going to get even. I'm not going to talk evil. I'm not going to attack back. Here's another thing. Men, we do not walk into our houses and vent to our family about the frustrations of our day. We're saying, hey honey, this is what we do in our family. I'm the leader and I'm going to encourage you. We gossip and slander. That's what we do when we're attacked. You with me, honey? Let's do this together. Or, hey kids, do not talk back to your father or your mother. Oh, you mean the way that you do about your boss, dad? Mom? We need to live it if we expect others to live it. If we are going to live in the footsteps of Jesus, our mouths need to be saying very different things at the end of every single day. We go to God. We go to God. How was your day? Really, really hard. Did you go to God first? Yes, I did. Let me celebrate the victory right now. Honey, we're praying. Because that's breakthrough, right? And kids ask, hey, how was your day? Really, really hard. Yeah, what happened? I prayed to God to help me. You did what? I prayed. Well, yeah, but what happened? You don't need to know what happened. What you need to know is there's a God that is bigger than my problems. And I need to brag about Him and talk about Him. I don't need to vent to anybody I need to vent to God. God's big enough to handle all of my complaints and my frustrations. The little people in my life can't shoulder that. I'm crushing them by going to them instead of God. Can we be Christian? Can we live as Christians? Can we do this? Resist retaliation. It doesn't stop there. Peter's like, I got so much more. But Paul says this. I want to include this address. 1 Corinthians 4. Jot that down. 1 Corinthians 4, 12 and 13. When reviled, when attacked, we bless. We do what? We bless. We bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and we still are treated this way. This is what Paul says. We're treated like the scum of the world. Did you know that's in the Bible? That's in the Bible. All right? You should highlight that. Who am I? I am the scum of the world. No, no, no. He doesn't say that. He says, as Christians, we're treated like the scum of the world. Why? Because Jesus 
was treated like the scum of the world. Crucify him! And we follow in his footsteps. We're, we're like refuse, like dung in all the world. So it's supernatural when you are treated like a pile of excrement and instead you shut your mouth and you go to God. That's wild. That's supernatural. Only Christians can do that. And not only can we, we're commanded to. And we're in sin when we don't. We resist. This isn't easy. How about this? We entrust. I love this word. Entrust justice to the judge. Verse 23, do you see it? But what did Jesus do? Even though He faced all these things, He is the one we're following in His footsteps. What do we do? He continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. We follow in His footsteps. We entrust ourselves. Do you love the, the picture of not just, hey, you need to trust God, but the, the action, the verb is every day and in every situation, I'm coming before God and I'm saying, God, I entrust this pain to You. I'm, I'm handing it off to You. I'm putting it in Your hands. The suffering and the wrong that I have endured I'm entrusting it to you. God, could you take this for me? Because I can't bear the load of it. I can't handle living with this crushing suppression. I entrust it to you. Why? Because He's the judge. And how well does God judge? Can we take a vote? How well is God's track record of executing justice? Um, I, I believe the last time I checked, 100% aced, aced, A plus every single time, 10 out of 10, that God is perfect in His ways. Can, can you share any stories of your attempts to execute justice and it not quite satisfying the vengeance and the rage and the anger that it fell short of actually bringing any kind of resolve or closure? I would say almost every time that we've taken it in our own hands, it's like, I just made it worse. I just made it worse. Turn to your neighbor and say, you make it worse. Okay? In Jesus' name, you can say it in love, but you make it worse when you take it in your own hands. Something happens when you entrust it to the judge that judges perfectly. I love it. Romans 12, 17, 19. Repay no one for evil. None. No one. Give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Give, give deep thought how do I respond to being used and abused and neglected and hurt and lied about and betrayed? He says, Paul says this, give, give a lot of thought to what's honorable. When's the last time that you responded to an evil and you spent time, God, what does it look like specifically and practically for me to respond in a way that's honorable? That when I'm done saying and doing, that people would watch me from afar and go, that was a really honorable thing that she just did. I would never do that. I can't believe she responded that way. So much love and grace and forgiveness. Honorable in the sight of everybody watching because everybody's watching. Do we get it, right? If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with some people. Is that Paul, you're killing me with these alls. Live peaceably with all, with everyone. Even my ex? Yes, yes, all, all, all. Beloved, loved ones, never, never, never avenge yourselves, but leave it, leave it to the wrath of God. This is what God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. I entrust justice to the judge. How about this? Number 
Number three in this list. Everybody ready? You got it? You got it? You're like, no, I'm done. Can we tap out right now? It's too much. It's too much. We're only halfway through the practicality. Here's, here's the last two. Experience the healing power of righteousness, not your own righteousness. A foreign, alien righteousness and a righteousness that you've been given. Here's what he says, verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, on the cross. Why? That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For, for his rightness, whatever is right in God's eyes, we live for that because by his wounds, you've been healed. So you're talking, so what if I am unfairly, unjustly hurt so deeply? What's my play? What's my response? And he says, you can experience healing regardless of what happens to them. Your heart is healed when you respond with what's right in God's eyes, no matter how wrong they've treated you. This is a beautiful thing. It's all over Scripture of Jesus doing what is absolutely wild on the cross while He's tortured. What's the example that we see all throughout Scripture? Because we're following in His footsteps. We see even though Jesus was being crucified and tortured, gasping for His last breath, and He's looking upon those that are spitting and cussing and screaming and blaming and attacking, and He says, forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing. And do you know that Jesus' prayer was answered and is still being answered for those of us who have rejected Jesus over and over? And He says, forgive them. He's offering forgiveness and we've received it. But do you know what's even crazier? I just love this. The audience that Peter is writing to, think with me, the early church, they're now following. Peter's now writing to them. Do you know what's wild? Are you ready for this? Some of those early church members were the ones rallied around the cross screaming at Jesus and by Jesus offering, not retaliating, but offering forgiveness. Maybe it was months later. Maybe it was years later. But some of Peter's sheep among the fold, when he wrote this, they were like, I was actually there that he didn't retaliate. I was there. I heard him. I watched him. He didn't retaliate. He, he didn't bark back. He didn't attack back. Even though I was screaming at him and I wanted him dead, he brought me forgiveness. I heard his words and it happened. The miracle happened. I was forgiven and healing began. But how many of us, even though we had a little bit of healing when we got saved, we got a whole lot of persecution and a lot of wrongdoing after we became Christians, and now we're keeping score. And now we're rallying other people together for our cause of how much we're the victim and how much we've been hurt. And what if today's the day? What if today's the day where you're like, I'm not a victim anymore. It doesn't matter how much I've been hurt. I'm following in the footsteps of my Jesus. His suffering way more than anything I will go through. I'm not going to have a posture of a victim. I'm going to heal. I'm going to have healing inside. I am going to watch the righteousness of Jesus empower me to do the right thing. I'm moving forward different. different. And lastly, everybody say land the plane. Here we go. Return to your compassionate Master. Return to your compassionate Master. Verse 25, You were straying like sheep, but have now returned 
to the shepherd, the compassionate leader, Jesus, the overseer of your souls. Oh, isn't that awesome? Repentance leads to compassion. Returning to the Lord changes your heart towards those that have hurt you. Could we do this? As the worship team comes up, I want us just to pause and consider, consider all of this, but especially that last point. Some of us need to hear the call once again. You need to come back. For those that have never come to Jesus in the first place, today could be the day. For others of us, we have wandered and we have strayed. We have been licking our wounds. We have been taking vengeance in our own hands. Is that you? I mean, just as you evaluate where you've been, how do you talk to other people about the people that have hurt you in the past? If everybody that's close to you knows all of the dirt about how people have hurt you in the past, you're doing it wrong. If God knows everything that you've been through and a few trusted friends that love you and know what confidentiality is, you're doing it right. You don't stuff it down. You go to God. And that pain turns into compassion for others because God wants to bring healing. Do you believe that? Because people that don't have a healed heart from past hurts, you are going to continue hurting other people. You're going to continue taking vengeance. You are not going to submit. You're not going to submit to anybody because you hear the voice of the world saying, you are an independent woman. Be independent. Stand up for yourself. You're in a, if you're a real man, you don't let people get away with that. And then there's Jesus. What does he have to say about it? He says, come. Come to me. That burden that you carry, I already see it. Bring it to me so I can carry it for you. I don't know what you've experienced. And maybe, maybe it's been your upbringing that there's been some hurtful things said and done physically, emotionally, sexually. And you're taking it with you into the future where you will not follow and you will not surrender to God. And you think you're winning and God says you're losing. Because there's no healing there. There's no shining brightly. You are living in darkness among the dark. Even though you can say, I prayed a prayer. I know I'm going to heaven. I believe in Jesus. Is there any evidence of that in your life? And if not, maybe for the first time, not return, but you need to come to Him. The One who knows your hurts and took the greatest pain for you. And that's the punishment of your rebellion. And He took it. Willingly, quietly, submissively. And Peter tells us today, follow. Let's follow together, church. Let's follow in Jesus' footsteps. Even when we're hurt, even when we're wronged, even when a parent is bossy and critical and hypocritical, even when a boss is doing things that they shouldn't do and speaking in such a way that you would find yourself shining brightly, coming under. Because who are you ultimately submitting to? Every time you submit to authority, you're submitting to the authority. Every time you're submitting to a little M master, what you're telling the world is, I'm actually submitting to capital M Master. Because my boss is not the boss of me. Jesus is. But Jesus put that authority figure in my life to show people what Jesus is like by coming under.